1 Samuel chapter 9, we'll start reading in verse 1 this morning. And there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zerah, and he was a mighty man of power. Verse 2, he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly. Now, that's not to be confused with godly. Saul is never called godly in the scripture, but a fine young man. He passes the eye test, a man of character. There was not a, uh, among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. And the asses of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. Kish said to Saul, his son, take now one of the servants with thee. Arise, go seek the asses. And he passed through Mount Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalisha, but they found them not. Then they passed through the land of Shalim, and there they were not. He passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they found them not. When they were come to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant that was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father leave caring for the asses and take thought for us. And he said to him, Behold, now there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he saith cometh surely to pass. Now let us go thither peradventure. He can show us our way that we should go. Then said Saul to his servant, But behold, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread is spent in our vessels, and there's not a present to bring to the man of God. What have we? And the servant answered Saul again and said, Behold, I have here at hand the fourth part of a shekel of silver. That will I give to the man of God to tell us our way. Before time in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, thus he spake, Come, let us go to the seer, for he that is now called a prophet was before time called a seer. Then said Saul to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went unto the city where the man of God was. Go to chapter 10, verse 1. Let's see what the man of God does upon their arrival. Then Samuel took a vial of oil, poured it upon his head, kissed him, and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? So when he finds the man of God, the man of God anoints Saul to be the first king of Israel. Verse 6, The Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and thou shalt, this is Samuel the prophet speaking of, King Saul, who's just been recently anointed, he said, Thou shalt be turned into another man. And let it be, when these signs are come unto thee, that thou do as occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning that you speak to us. Father, we want to come with a tender heart. Father, we want you to do something in our hearts, in our lives. Align us with your word. Father, as we look at the life of Saul, you have something here for us. Open our eyes, open our understanding. Father, be glorified this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, looking at the life of Saul... He was handpicked by God to be Israel's first leader. The Bible says he was a goodly young man, respectful, obviously respectful, someone who sought and listened to the man of God. And as he's anointed, here's what we see, even the Spirit of the Lord rests upon him 
And the Bible says, when the Spirit of the Lord rests upon you, you'll be turned into another man. And then in verse 7, the last phrase, we see this, God is with thee. Now, according to what we read this morning, everything is in order for Saul to be successful for a long, long time. How many of you are in agreement with that? How many of you say, preacher, I understand, I see that right here, we would say this young man has a bright future and God is going to use him in a great, a great way. Physically speaking, visually speaking, those around him would say, boy, what a choice young man. The only problem is, if you go with me, 35 or 40 years later, go to 1 Samuel chapter 28. Let's see how his life ends. This is the end of his life. Shortly before his death, and all that potential, all that hope for the future, everything that had been invested in young Saul, now we're seeing at the end of his life, had gone a totally different direction. You'll barely recognize him as the same person. Look what it says, verse 5. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not. Now I can't imagine reaching this place where God is no longer speaking. I can't imagine going through life and having God become silent in my life. I can't imagine going to church or reading this book or living every day knowing that God is no longer speaking to me. And although Saul was in a terrible spot, he lifts up his voice, he kneels down and asks God to respond. God says absolutely nothing. Not by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by the prophets. Then look what Saul says in verse 7. Saul said to his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit that I may go to her. Seek for me a witch. Now this same young man that had been handpicked by God to lead Israel is now so distant from God, so distant from the Holy Spirit, so distant from the word of God, so distant from the people of God that we find him consulting with witches. He disguises himself. Now, here's why he had to do homework in order to find this woman. Go back to verse 3. Look at the last sentence. And Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits. Did you know there was a time in his life when he was walking with God and doing the right thing? And during that time, he had expelled the witches, gotten rid of all of those kind of people that were dealing with familiar spirits. He had ridded the land of their influence, and now the very sin that he had stood so firmly against, he is participating in. What happened? Now, here's my question this morning. For you that we see out of this chapter, how do you get there from here? Now, here's what I want to ask you, because we've all seen it, and some of us have experienced it. There have been times when we've seen people go from point A to point 
B, and we said, how in the world, with everything in their favor, with the direction they initially started going, how did they end up in that place, in that spot, a place of ruin, a place of consequence, a place so distant from God, how did they get there? And here's my question for you. Looking at Saul's start, his initial direction, how is it that Saul ended up dying the death of a fool, looking for a witch to give him counsel and direction in life? How did that happen? Now, early in life, Saul obviously had taken a wrong turn. And when you take a wrong turn, it leads you down the wrong road. Did you know in life, many of you have traveled, most of you hate travel, living in Austin, Texas, not far from I-35, but when you get five minutes down the road on Ben White, you're forced to make a decision. You can stay straight and end up in Bastrop, you can take a left and go to Temple, you can take a right and go to San Antonio. At that moment, your destiny is determined by the decision you make. Three very different places. None very desirable. <laughs> Hopefully your house is somewhere between here and there and you don't have to end up in either Temple or San Antonio or Bastrop, Texas. But you know at that moment you have a decision. I can veer to the right, I can go to the left, or I can stay straight. And life is full of those kind of moments. And at any moment, just because you started out heading in the right direction doesn't mean you'll end up at that destiny because at some point, you'll see an exit sign and be tempted to go a different direction. And at that point, it will determine your future for Samuel 15. Let's see a wrong turn that Saul made in his kingship. 1 Samuel 15, probably one of the most recognized chapters dealing with the life of Saul. Verse 9, I don't want to rehearse the entire story, but you know that Saul had been sent to destroy Amalek. He had not obeyed the command of the Lord. Verse 9, Saul and the people, they spared Agag. That was disobedience. The best of the sheep, that was disobedience. The best of the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, they would not utterly destroy them. That was all disobedience. But everything that was vile and refuse, they destroyed utterly. Those things that were easy to destroy, the commands that were easy to obey, that they obeyed. But when their emotions went against the Bible command, their logic went against the Bible command, they followed the logic and their emotions of the moment. Verse 10, then came the word of the Lord to Samuel saying, it repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king for he has turned back from following me. Do you see the turn? He had taken a wrong turn. He made a choice to obey or disobey. Now everything in this book does not make sense. How many of you have read something, heard something, seen something in this book that didn't agree with you? disturbed you. So if I don't understand this, I certainly can't accept it. Could Saul understand the command of God to utterly destroy everything in Amalek? Absolutely not. So he said, logically speaking, here's what we'll do. We'll destroy that which is ugly. We'll destroy everything that's despicable and vile, but we will save the best. And God said, that's not the command 
that I gave you. Now, here's where we take a wrong turn. When we come to a point in life where we decide to go our own way, do our own thing, and then we justify what we just did. Now, it seemed to Saul like a small thing. You know what initial disobedience is based upon? Logic and human reasoning that says, it's not a big deal. You know, if I miss a church service, if I'm not involved in soul winning, if I'm not reading my Bible, there, there are all these things, and the most basic things, listen, there's nothing more basic in the Christian life than reading your Bible, praying, tithing, soul winning, and attending church. You can't get any more basic than that. And here's the problem, that's a package deal. And normally when you stop doing one, you stop doing all of them. They're all affected. Now, usually the last one to go is church attendance. But it starts with, you start filling in your Bible reading. You stop praying. You justify misspending your tithe. And the next thing you know, soul winning is not even a consideration. And then you find yourself becoming distant from the house of God and the people of God and the things of God. Ministry is no longer a concern You've taken a turn, and now you're justifying the decision that was just made. And here's what, here's what I've seen. I've seen it repeatedly. Listen, you don't just make a left turn and end up in Dallas or Oklahoma City. You take a left turn, and then you drive. And you drive, and you drive, and you drive, and you don't make a U-turn to correct your wrong decision. How many of you have ever made a wrong turn and about five or ten minutes later you said, something's not right here, we've got to fix this? Don't you hate it when that person that recognizes the wrong turn is sitting beside you? She's your wife. And she says, babe, I think we missed our turn. I don't think so. And you drive and it starts to uh, dawn on you, you know what, maybe we did miss our turn. I read an article back in January that made me laugh. And so last night I got on the computer to see if I could find that article. And sure enough, it was still there. Here's the title. A woman drives 900 miles out of her way. How many of you read that? Several of you. Let me read it to you that, for those of you that missed it. A 67-year-old woman from Belgium learned the hard way after she followed a faulty device 900 miles in the wrong direction. The woman only wanted to go about 90 miles from her hometown in Belgium to pick up a friend at the Brussels train station. But her GPS device sent her 900 miles to the south before she realized that something was amiss. Now you are saying, how is it that she had a 90-minute trip to make and she drove 900 miles? Hold on. She'll give you the explanation. Discovery explains that the driver, Sabine Moreau, stopped twice for gas, slept on the side of the road, and even suffered a minor car accident along the way. She told El Mundo that she simply wasn't paying attention. 
I would say so. You don't go 900 miles in the wrong direction without doing a lot of not paying attention. Now, we laugh at that, but how often do we see that spiritually? Someone takes a wrong turn and they just keep going, keep going, keep going. Days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months. And the next thing someone knows, they look up and they see a sign that says disaster. The only problem with getting off and driving down the wrong road is you have to drive just as far back to get back. You know, if you drive down here planning to go to the border, I'm going to Laredo and you go north instead of south. And you say, well, it's about four hours to Laredo. And the next thing you know, you wake up and you see a sign that says Dallas, Texas. You know what? You don't say, I'm going to make a U-turn. And since I've already driven three hours, that means I'm only 45 minutes away from Laredo. No. That means you're officially seven and a half hours away from Laredo. Because you've got to make a U-turn, and as far as you went in the wrong direction, now you've got to go all the way back to the initial deviation and correct that wrong decision. And here's what kids want to do. Kids want to go off track for years and think, well, as long as I hit the altar, as soon as I make a confession, everything will be off. No, the problem is you didn't go off track right here at the altar. This is where you made the decision to U-turn but you've got to go all the way back to where you deviated, get back on track, and do the right thing. And here's what Saul did. He was confronted repeatedly, and the man of God tried to tell him, you're off track, you're going the wrong direction, pay attention, make a U-turn. But here's the problem. I did a little bit of reading about driving the wrong way and taking wrong turns. They say this, 95% of all people that go the wrong way on a road, the reason is impaired driving. Now, when they say impaired driving, they're talking about someone that is drunk or on drugs. So in their mind, they are convinced they are going the right way. You could argue with them. You could scream at them. You could yell out in panic. But in their minds, it's like the woman that called up her husband and said, listen, I just heard on the news there's a driver on I-35 that's going the wrong way. And he said, it's not one, it's everyone. He was driving impaired. He was driving blind. And, and when you go into sin, listen, here's what sin will do. Sin will so mess up your mind, you look at everyone else like they're going the wrong way. And you can't see straight. And you say, what's up? I, I, I don't know. But, but when you get into sin, listen, Saul was so blinded by his sin when he was confronted by the man of God. Look at how he responds repeatedly in this chapter, go with me to verse 21 for just a minute. Go with me to verse 20. And Saul said unto Samuel, he's been confronted several times at this point. What is his response? Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. 
He is driving impaired. He's going the wrong way. He's been rejected. He's, and listen, this has been going on for a long time. Keep your finger here for just a minute and go with me back to chapter 13. This is 30 years previous. There are 30 years that passed between chapter 13 and chapter 15. Saul disobeys the word of the Lord, makes a sacrifice that he was not supposed to make. That was Samuel's sacrifice to make. Verse 9, Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me and a peace offering. He offered the burnt offering. Verse 11, Samuel said, what hast thou done? And what does Saul say? He begins to justify himself by saying, because I saw the people were scattered from me. I saw these things happening. Verse 12, I forced myself to do it. What's it saying? Verse 13, Samuel said to Saul, thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee now listen, over a 30-year course, when you look at 1 Samuel 15, because these are just two chapters apart, we think it's a matter of days or months or a year. This is a 30-year period where Saul began to sin. Saul took a wrong turn and he began to justify his sin. This happens every day in Christianity. There's always an excuse to do wrong. I don't care if it's music or a wrong friend or dress, you name it. We can all find a justification. And when it happens, someone confronts us and says, you're going the wrong way. No, I'm not. You're going the wrong way. No, you need to make a U-turn. And we see every time Saul sinned, he was confronted with his wrongdoing. He was confronted with his sin. But there was a refusal in his mind. He was driving impaired. He was convinced, I'm on the right road going the wrong way. No, Saul, you're headed the wrong direction. Because Saul said, I'm headed to the blessings of God. I'm headed to a great destiny. I'm headed to successful living. No, Saul, you had to turn to the right. You turned to the wrong you're, that means rejection. That means God's going to take your kingdom from you. That means a lack of peace. That means you'll lose your son. That means ultimately you'll lose your life, Saul. No, this is, I'm going to Laredo. Not if you go north, you're not. Yes, I am. You're not going to Laredo because in your mind you think you're going there. Look, I'm going to Laredo. There's a, there's a sign right there that says Salado. Yeah. That's my point. Salado's the wrong direction. Temple, I'm getting closer. No, you're going farther. You're becoming more distant from the destiny, the direction that you need to go. And in life, there's not a whole lot of choices. There's a choice to either go God's way, which is in conflict with our way, a way of blessing, or we can go the way of natural disaster. We can just go with the flow. We can do our thing. And here's what, here's what Saul did. He began to justify. And the only, did you realize this? The only accurate GPS, the only reliable GPS is this book. God's holy word is the only accurate GPS. And here's what people want to do. They want to believe their emotions 
or their logic are reliable guides in life. Your emotions, that's a recipe for disaster. Following your logic, following people. I remember the first time we went to Mexico City years ago. Several of you were with us on that trip. When we got to Mexico City, a city of, is debatable, depends on what article you read or what book you look in, but in between 22 and 30 million people. Now imagine a city that size with roads that were designed for about 10,000 people. So you just keep adding a road to fix the problem. So we drove into Mexico City. We were trying to find a way out. It was rush hour traffic. And Matt and I were asking directions. My dad was driving. That is a recipe for disaster. And we would stop and ask someone, hey, we want to go uh, to Toluca. Can you tell us the road? And they say, yeah, go down here, take a right, take another left. When you get three cars down, you see the big cow on the, on the billboard, take another right. And then you drive up, you see a big tall building. You go to the left, they didn't know street names. It was all, only whatever they could remember as far as the buildings or car. There's a big red car down there at the corner. You're going to turn right there. Well, after we drove around the city for two hours going nowhere, do you know that's what happens in life when you're following people's advice and opinions and your emotions? You're going in circles. And at some point, you've got to wake up and say, I need some good, solid advice. And that comes from God's word. Dad said, you guys don't know how to get directions. I said, Dad, it's the people who are giving us those directions. I said, how about if we pay $50 and get a taxi cab and get him to guide us? Out of this city. And sure enough, we found a guy that was willing. And he guided us through that traffic and those crazy roads. And the next thing you know, we were on the right path, headed the right direction. And here's what you better do in life. You better say, I need a Holy Spirit to guide me. Because when I'm listening to all these voices and I'm listening to my emotions, I'm in conflict with the Word of God. And I will drive in circles for years. And your kids have to watch you do that. And your friends have to watch you do that. And that's what Saul was doing. 30 years. The problem was, he's no longer hearing from God. No, no longer guided by the Holy Spirit. And he just stopped doing what he was supposed to be doing. I mean, he reached a point. Go back with me to chapter 14. Verse 1 and 2. Now it came to pass on a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man that bears armor... Come, let us go up over to the, Philist the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. Why? What's his father doing? This is a time of war. Saul is the leader of the army. He's the captain. Verse 2, Saul tarried in the outermost part of Gibeah. What's he doing? Under a pomegranate tree. Nothing. You know what happens when you get out of sorts with God? You begin to justify sin. Pretty soon you justify doing nothing. You know where a lot of people are at spiritually? Doing nothing. We're in the midst of a battle. We're living in the last days. We have a world that's going to hell. We have ministries everywhere in this church for people to serve. 
But Satan has so got you to justify sin that pretty soon you find yourself doing absolutely nothing. You have no spiritual ambition. For the world, there's an ambition. You work 40, 50, or 60 hours. But for God, there is no spiritual ambition to lift a finger. And pastor gets to do with the effects of people that have taken a wrong turn and driven the wrong direction for a long, long time. And that guarantees you one thing, a crash. I could read you articles all morning long, but I just pulled down one. Salamar, a woman who was driving a car the wrong way on the 210 freeway, was killed early today in a fiery head-on collision with a tractor trailer that resulted in an hours-long closure of most of the freeway, the authorities said. The crash on westbound 210 was reported at 2.16 a.m. The woman who was driving the Acura died at the scene. Going the wrong way. That's a dangerous way to drive. The wrong way. Several years ago, we had a missionary come down and visit us in Mexico. The way they redid the roads in our city was mind-boggling. I believe the guy that designed them was drunk. He had us right-handed traffic driving on the left-hand side of the road. It caused a lot of confusion. And then the median that they put in between, in order to correct things, the median sat up almost a foot. So you watch people make the mistake. They'd get up to the light, turn down the wrong side of the road, be coming against traffic, but they'd have no way to escape. Well, we... Lent our vehicle, mistake number one, don't lend your vehicle to a missionary. <laughs> mistake number two, we put our kids in that car with that missionary and told them they'd get out, go do something. Well, when they came back, the kids were buzzing with excitement. I knew something had happened. There was a big chunk of rubber out of my tire and it was pulling hard to the left. I said, uh, you know the missionary, so I won't say his name. I said, Mr. Missionary. I said, what in the world happened? Well, he said, I got up there to the light, and I didn't know which direction to go. And so I went on my instincts. I said, that's a big problem. And he pulled into ongoing traffic, and he realized this is life or death. So he said, since you had a Suburban, and then he said this, since the curb was only a foot high, I decided to correct my mistake in order to save the lives of your children. Then he said, but you don't mind a mess of vehicles since I saved their lives. I said, no, you were the one that put them in that position in the first place. So don't put hero on your chest. Put zero on your chest. Thankfully, you corrected the mistake that was made. But here's the problem. Most people don't correct the mistake in time. And here's what we do. We begin to justify wrong turns in life and you drive down that road long enough and you'll find yourself in a place, in a mess, in an accident, in a fiery crash that you can't fix. Now, let's look what happened for a second in Saul's life. Turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 10. Here's what happened with Saul. 
Saul was way too proud to admit his mistake when someone brought it to his attention. How many of you have ever been confronted when driving with a mistake you made? Now, what was your initial reaction? Now, most of us as men, you have pious faces on, but your wives are smiling. Because they have said, I think we took a wrong road. And the man says, I think not. And here's what happens when a man of God steps up, when a friend or a Christian brother, when someone who holds us accountable, when someone who's looking out for our welfare steps up and says, hey, wait a minute, I don't think that's the right direction. I think there'll be chaos. I think you've taken a wrong turn. I think this is going to be detrimental for our health. Instead of jumping the curb and making sure we turn around and go the right way, we argue and sometimes... It's not just being impaired. Sometimes we just fall asleep. I remember years ago, I was going to preach a meeting in Victoria. And I went with one of my brothers. I won't tell you which one it was. Uh, but he started off driving. And I said, do you know how to get to Victoria? Oh, yeah, I know, absolutely. And I opened up the map and I reiterated, these are the roads. This is the way we have to go. This is where you have to turn. You're going to drive about 60 miles. You need to turn to the left. And uh, basically, we went over the directions. I put the seat back and fell asleep. Now, you have to remember, I was supposed to preach at 10 o'clock that morning. About 9 or 9.15, I woke up and said, so where are we at? And he told me the name of the town. And I said, boy, I don't remember that town being on our way to Victoria. I said, let me take a look at the map. Guess what? We were two hours away from Victoria. Not a horrible deviation, just an hour the wrong way. The blessing was, I got to call up a preacher that morning and say, if you want me to preach, I can do it at 11 or I can do it at 10 by phone. <laughs> Whatever your preference is. And then I looked at my brother and said, I love you. Or at least I loved you yesterday. There's a reason that I don't love you today. Now, at some point, you've, you've got to get that car back on track. You've got to head the right direction. You've got to correct yourself. You've got to see the mistake. You're going to have to humble yourself and come to the point where you say, okay, somewhere along the line, I got off track. And we see that in our marriage. We see that in our child rearing. We see that in our relationship with God. We see that in our prayer life. We see it in church. I watch it all the time. I watch people as at times you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit and the altar is like a second home and the, the word of God is powerful in your life and you hang on every word. And then there are times you go through dry spells and you find yourself becoming more and more distant in church, more and more boring. doesn't matter who speaks or what the message uh, title or what the book that it's in. doesn't matter how the power of God falls. You are absolutely unaffected. That's when you have to say, I've got to make a U-turn and get this corrected. Because if not, you're going to ask yourself, how in the world did I get here from there? 
How is it that Christians can end up divorced? How is it that uh, Christian kids growing up in Christian homes can end up in the world? How is it that Christian kids can end up with DUIs? How in the world did you get there from here? How in the world did you as a Christian couple growing up in a Christian home get to this spot? How did you get here from there, Saul? Saul, you were chosen as a king. Saul, you were God's pick. Saul, you were God's man. Saul, you had the Holy Spirit resting upon you. Saul, you had the people following you. Saul, you had everything in your favor. Now you're sitting here in a disguise. Can you imagine this once great king with a fake mustache and the robes of poverty, barefooted as he wanders in, having not shaven, looking for a witch to guide him. You'd say, that's scary, that's crazy, that's, that's absolutely insane. That's where sin takes you. When you get into sin, did you know sin keeps you from thinking rationally and logically? And when you finally get things right, you'll look back and say, what was I thinking? You weren't. What was I doing? How did I take that path? How did I make that decision? When you get into sin, you simply can't think straight. You can't see straight. You're driving impaired. Now, here's the problem. When you do that, you do that long enough, that is a tragedy waiting to happen. Look what it says, 1 Chronicles chapter 10, verse 12. Saul is dead. His body is hanging. Verse 13, so Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord. What was his sin? What was it? It was against the word of the Lord. Now, this is it. This is the root problem. And here's what I need you to understand this morning. This is the message Saul had turned aside. He had gone the wrong direction. He had driven in the wrong direction for a long time. He was going the wrong way. But this all started when he knew what he was supposed to do and disobeyed the word of God. Now, the Christian life is all about the word of God. And when your relationship with the word of God is not right, you're already off track. The word of God has got to permeate your heart. The word of God has got to permeate your mind. It's got to be a part of your daily life. And too many Christians, no matter how I preach it, no matter how I reiterate it, no matter how I scream it, whether it's kids in the Christian school or people that have been years in church, the average Christian does not have a regular, intimate, daily walk with God. And this is where he went off track. When the, the word of God is not a vital part of your daily life. And folks, we're in 2013. That age-old excuse that people use for centuries about I'm just not a good reader, I'm just not interested. Well, now you can listen to it. You can saturate your soul in the word of God. My... Wife, I'm amused. She, she's so constant in her, her Bible app. But I love it because rarely are we, when she has hers on, we won't do a war of Bible apps. 
But whoever has their app on first in the morning, that's the scripture that we listen to. But I was laughing because you can listen to so much scripture. You can listen to the entire New Testament without trying in a single week. Try doing that reading. But I was laughing this morning because she was in Genesis and she turned it on and she was at the end of Deuteronomy. And I just smiled myself and thought, how in the world do you get through five books of the Bible in five days? God has facilitated your spiritual life by saying, I'll help you saturate your soul in the word of God. He said, here's what God said about Saul. You have sinned, and, and here's what we try to do. We try to hide in a church environment, and, and, and we think, I'm here, I'm present, I'm in my tie, I look God, I can put on a facade, and people think my relationship is okay. Listen, sooner or later, it will be revealed that your relationship with God is not okay, because if you're not in this book, you will not think like God. This is the mind of God, and you can't have his mind without reading his book. Because Saul wasn't saturating himself. He had distanced himself from God. No longer shared the mind of God. And here's what happens. When you justify sin long enough, what did Samuel say in 1 Samuel 15, verse 22 and 23? He said, for rebellion, rebellion, is this a sin of witchcraft? He was already in witchcraft way back in Amalek. And rebellion means the repeated, willful doing of wrong disobedience to the word of God. You get there by justifying sin. And you justify it today. And you justify it tomorrow to the point when the man of God confronts you, you'll still say, yea, I have obeyed the word of God. Off track. Driving impaired. Saying everyone else is driving the wrong way. And here's what happens. When you get in this condition, you'll start looking at everyone else. Matter of fact, you'll get angry at those going the right direction. It was Saul who picked up the spear in chapter 18 and threw it at David. David, yeah, the young man in the same chapter that says three times, David behaved himself, what? Wisely. And Saul throws a spear. That's called unwisely. You're... Cu- you're going against me. You know what? When you're going the wrong way, someone that's going the right way is considered an enemy because you look at them and say, you go against me. Yes, I'm following the traffic signs. It's actually healthy for me, unhealthy for you. All you have to do is follow the signs. Follow the arrows. Did you know that's why God gave us his book? He said, follow the signs. Now, people, you have a highly concerned preacher because we call ourselves Bible believers. But it's hard to believe a book you don't read. It's hard to understand a book you don't meditate upon. It's hard to love a God when you don't listen to his word. It's hard to think that you'll have the mind of Christ if you're not examining the mind of Christ. And the most basic part of the Christian life is filling yourself with this book. Folks, 
if we took a personal look at each member this morning in your relationship with God this week, we would be astounded, not in a positive way, not because we haven't heard this, not because it hasn't been preached, not because it wasn't emphasized by the previous pastor, not because it's never mentioned in the Christian school. Every ministry that we have in this church, we're constantly reiterating and reestablishing the need to get more of this book in our lives. But here's what we do. We find a way to go Monday without getting this book in our lives. And here's the problem. This world is force-feeding you with its philosophy all day, every day. We talk about the propaganda machine that we saw in North Korea and from 7.30 until 11.30 at night over the loudspeakers and on the TV set, they have one channel, it's the propaganda, and they're trying to fill the minds of those people with the same mistruths 24-7. But you know what? United States of America, it happens all the same. Get it through news through the teaching, through the public school, through the newspaper, through the TV programs, constantly tell you there's not a problem with fornication, there's not a problem with adultery, there's not a problem with disobedience, there's not a problem with lack of respect, there's not a problem with lying, there's not a problem with cheating, there's not a problem with theft, not a problem with any of that. To the point where now Christians can actually, listen, Christians live with a conscience seared with a hot iron. To the point you could bring in 50 of the nation's finest preachers and they could scream and they could preach and they could bring the power of God and you would still see people sit service after service after service and never even crack a smile, never walk an aisle, never confess a sin, never make anything even right with God. The same kids would be playing around in the same back of the auditorium. People would still be talking. People would still walk out fussing and fighting and living in the same sin because there's a hardness that has come with going off track. There's not a relationship with this book. This book can no longer correct you because you're not in it. Unless you're filling yourself. Here's what he said. So Saul died for his transgression because which he committed against the Lord even against what? The word of the Lord which he kept not. That's it. You know what we have now, Christianity? Christians that can miss a service. I mean, just lay at home. Just stay at home. And it's so easy. Then, when someone asks them about it, they can lie about that. Not even feel bad. Christians that could steal the tithes. Not one week, not two weeks, but months and years. Conscience is seared with a hot iron. Christians that can live without ever witnessing to anyone around them. Christians that can laugh at the filthiness on TV. Listen, folks, I have been on airplanes where I wanted to, I, I, I wanted to throw up thinking, I cannot believe what they're forcing on people on an airplane, and if I had a child there, I've been on buses, ridden in cars. I've been with Christians. I've been in the homes of Christians when TVs were on. And the stuff that was being shown and played would just 
discussed a nominal Christian. But we're so distant from this book. You want to know why? We know it'll get us in trouble. We don't want our GPS to be the word of God. We prefer the GPS of our emotions because as soon as we have God's word guiding us, it's going to cost us some friendships. It's going to cost us some family. He kept not the word of the Lord. And also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit. He asked counsel of a witch. He inquired not of the Lord. Therefore, he slew him. You say, but... No, that was the enemy. No. God said, that's your destination. Saul, you go down this path long enough. Not only is it going to sear your conscience, not only is it going to destroy good friendships, not only is it going to make you impaired in the end, it's going to cost you your life. It's going to cost you your kingdom. You better make a U-turn. Folks, I'm asking you something this morning. Now... If you don't get in this book, number one, you're, you will lose your soul and go to hell. You remember Matthew 7? Those that stood at the judgment said, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils. Done many wonderful works. Wrong road. Works is the wrong road to heaven. It's not going to take you there. Doing good works will only lead you to hell. The road to heaven is paved with grace. You've got to go through the blood. You have to go through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way. He's the only way to heaven. But as a Christian, if you got on the right road and you got born again, you got saved, you have a Holy Spirit living inside of you. But guess what? At some point, that Holy Spirit can be silenced. And you can take a wrong turn and the Holy Spirit will say, wrong way, wake up, pay attention. You don't want to go there. He'll attempt to talk to you, to guide you, to direct you. He'll attempt to get you to make a U-turn. In your life this morning, the Holy Spirit spoken to you about something in your life that you've introduced that's gotten you off track. And he's told you, you better make a U-turn. Because you drive down this road long enough, it's disaster.